Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. You're listening to the Wes and Walker Show. I remember one recruiting victory that you did get. It's Wes. I know you remember my quarterback, Paul Troth, and he and I came up there to East Carolina for a visit. And Walker. Vance High School, offensive lineman, big kid, eventually <laughs> went to Florida. Do you remember Wes Bryant at Vance High there, Coach? Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNC. If Florida had come along and that young man told me he wanted to come to East Carolina, I probably wouldn't take him because I think he was not very bright. to go on Wes and Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Josh Fitty Marlowe filling in for Wes. No fire or fizzle today. I think we're going to give you fire or fizzle tomorrow. As long as Wes is up to it. But you know he's going to be. He's going to come in with a lot of fire as you mentioned Fitty because he has texted in a few not hot takes but just giving us takes. Talking about Brock Purdy. Giving us a few text messages in a row as to why he would be deserving for the MVP but doesn't necessarily want him to win because he wants Brock to still be hungry. Now that's a take. A well-constructed one, mind you, from a radio professional that has his name on this show. The other one is him calling a trip to the foul line on himself where he might want to go in on a certain somebody talking about game-managing QBs. Not the playing on the field, and he does make that distinction, but his opinion on game managers at the QB spot. So, Wes, he's going to have a few takes for us, Fiddy, when he comes back onto the mic. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm already prepared for tomorrow's show. I think we're going to get bullied into a a Friday war cry because Wes missed Wednesday. I, like, I think he's going to come in and demand that we get on the microphone and yell. He's going to the foul line on Cam Newton, which is going to just be a great response from the text line. I think so. I think he's going to still. Maybe it's too far out, but I still think he's going to do it. Oh, I, I see. I don't think he cares because, I mean, yeah, Cam, I Cam's talking about, you know, I know he calls his son the baby. I think Brock is his baby. <laughs> he's going to come in and defend both. his baby. Yeah, both are. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I want to go back to the text line. Uh, it's really been a text question that a lot of people have been wanting to answer, and so we have been reading those answers on air. Who are the most unsung heroes in Charlotte sports history? Big T from NC said, Armani Edwards never got enough appreciation. Dude is a legit stand-up guy. Okay, that's true. He got a lot of appreciation from App State fans. Carolina didn't do as much. But Armani Edwards, I think, got his love. And then he said, wait, were people clowning Armani Edwards? I didn't get to listen because I was on a call. It's like, no, I didn't read it. I don't think people would clown him. It just didn't work out here with the Panthers. Yeah, no, I mean, like he he has his place in football lore in this state. He won the, the titles at, at App. He played in the NFL here in Carolina. Legit college football legend. Yeah. Legitimately all the way. Um, And one year in Madden, I went nuts with them because I was like, why not? Mm-hmm. And, uh, but yeah, he was the one guy like when that was the year they drafted, was he in the same draft as Clawson? That was the same year, right? Where they got. 
Clawson, Edwards, and Tony Pike. Or maybe I'm, I got it. I got it mixed up. But he was in that that, that draft where they drafted a bunch of different guys. Yeah, it would have been like 2010, maybe something like that. Yeah. I forget which so, one. So it was. I mean, you it was it up. was fun. It was a nice experiment. I mean, the guy tried. Like he changed positions, tried to make a name for himself in the NFL. Just, just wasn't meant to be, man. Kind of like me going to the NBA. You you tried, you got drafted in the third round, <laughs> but eventually just didn't work out for you. I hate that for you, man. It's just those ACL injuries. Uh, yeah, let's go to the text line. Tar Heel Matt had a bunch of the unsung heroes, a lot of basketball players. So I'll just read these. Brevin Knight. I love the Brevin Knight one. Mm. Really helped this team at the beginning. And I think had a couple career years here in Charlotte. Matt Geiger. Love me some Matt Geiger. Eldon Campbell. PJ Brown. All on the top 35 Hornets list, according to Walker Mail on Lockdown Hornets. Every single one of those players. Philly Brown, Tar Heel Matt says. Philly, pretty good for that one year. Uh, Thick Doink is trolling a little bit. How about Legadoo Nane? He was great. Oh, yeah, the name is fantastic. All-time name right up there with Captain Munnerlyn. Um, 704 was talking about among the most annoying announcer habits. The thing that keeps getting brought up time and time again disregarding the broadcast booth it's uh 704 brings up the answer to annoying announcer habits is the Taysom hill Taysom, 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 Taysom hill love fest every time the panthers play the saints uh tate from wesley chapel kurt coleman kurt coleman unsung hey i tried saying that too he was awesome that one year to the super bowl run but fitty had a problem with me calling kurt coleman awesome the one time that i did yeah you know, we've talked about this awesome is a really strong word you want to say really good impactful we can go that route awesome for the one year to have seven interceptions that season that's that is awesome i i i declare it it is awesome really good <laughs> all of the positive all of the positive words that you can think of awesome is is just fine all right michael scott don't say it declare it i, I do declare <laughs> i do declare kurt coleman was awesome uh that was weird jason said i kind of feel bad for cam he played himself out of the league and now this is kind of how he feels like this is the way cam newton is coping with some of this stuff calling guys game managers and yeah we can get back to some of the Cam Newton conversation. We're about to. Yeah, you want to play that last soundbite that we had in the 1220 segment because he did have some more comments on the QB room, Jordan Palmer, Kyle Allen on that podcast as well. And here he is, as we were joking, trying to fill out the coaching staff and some of the front office positions with 2015 Carolina Panthers. Cam Newton said, well, I kind of was coaching the coach and the Panthers didn't even really know how to coach Christian McCaffrey when they drafted him all those years ago. Here's more from Cam. They should have never got rid of C-Mac. First never. off, confidentially, I'm, I'm, I'm going into waters where I feel like this is trusted source, right? And obviously it's going to get out, but this yeah. is about I was going to say, not that confidential. Right? <laughs> this, is, this is information that a lot of people wouldn't know unless you're there. They didn't know how to coach C-Mac. No. That's, that's the truth. There's no reason why this guy is having 40 touches a game and he's still practicing on Wednesday or things that we would expect our star play. They don't know how to, how to, how to coach a star. You remember 2019, the year you got hurt, the year I played, and he had 1,000, 1,000, and he, had, he played 99% of the snaps, yeah. and he practiced every single day. Like, that is impossible, bro. That's impossible for anyone to do. 
And they expected that out of the year. Now, hear me out. I'm not saying you treat C-Mac and show him favor. How I would treat C-Mac is this. On Wednesdays, that's your day. That's a vet move. That's your day. But you're out there every single rep coaching up the guys, and you're talking to a coach, court running back coach, and saying what getting your mental reps in. It's not that you're practicing, not the physical practice. You're still getting a mental practice there, right? They didn't know how to do that. We knew it in real time about how much he was playing. And the argument on the other side would have been when you give this guy a contract as the, it's the richest contract in the NFL at the running back position, then you have to play your best football player. Football players play football. That was one of the things that was said constantly. It's still used, right? And I get all that. I'm not trying to say we should have sat Christian McCaffrey for 50% of the snaps and had a one-two punch. I'm not looking to go D'Angelo Williams, Jonathan Stewart style back in the day. I understand Christian McCaffrey was your lead back, no doubt about it. But Fiddy, when we got to 2018 and 2019, such as the year that Kyle Allen and Cam Newton were discussing right there, he played 91% of all snaps in 2018 and 93% of all offensive snaps in 2019 on the way to his 1,000-1,000 season. Even at the end of the year, when they were not going to make the postseason anymore, you play against the Colts and look... I wanted McCaffrey to get to the 1,000, 1,000 yard year, right? Like that was, that was really cool to see somebody have that significant of accomplishment. Man, I think he had 15 targets from Will Greer, the second to last game of the season against the Colts. They just kept throwing it to him, throwing it to him, throwing it to him. So then, okay. Yeah, it it matters. You got to get to that mark. I, I get wanting the achievement, but you keep throwing him the football. You keep throwing him the football. And then against the Saints, I believe in the last game of that 2019 season, as soon as he gets to a thousand, you get a little bit of a cushion there. He's out. I think he got like a thousand on the nose, a thousand one. They threw it right back to him for a thousand five just for a cushion. I think I have that right. And then they brought him and that was it. But they played him so much, even when you weren't going to make the postseason anymore. Ninety three percent, ninety one percent. You're talking about just with the average, right? In two straight years, ninety two percent of the all of the offensive snaps. Fitty, even the bell cows during that time. Le'Veon Bells, if you will, Todd Gurley's, I guess, would have been in that realm. They weren't playing that many. Not that consistently. And then you hear these guys talk about what he had to do in practice, too. They're right, man. They were right then. And it actually happened across coaching staffs. It's it's not even just on Ron Rivera. It's on Rivera going into the Matt Rule staff. Both staffs did the same thing with McCaffrey. They played him too much. And then we saw him hurt for 2020, 2021. I... I think that's that's the most damning thing, right? Like if 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 Cam was saying this about the Matt Rule staff when he came back, it would it would have made a lot of sense because Matt Rule's a college guy that you, you you can if you read in between the lines, he wanted his guys to play hurt. He's an old school tough guy. He he wants his guys to play even if they're a little bit dinged up. The fact that he's saying this about Ron Rivera, I think, is the most eye opening thing. You wonder maybe what it does to their relationship moving forward because he openly just said, yeah, he didn't know what the hell he was doing with that gifted of a of a, of a player. And we all, or not we because I went on the radio at the time, but everybody that had a platform at the time was saying, this is really, really fun to watch. 
but it's also going to bite us in the butt at some point. And then sure enough, he gets hurt, what, three straight years? Then he goes to San Francisco. And I know Michael, the 49er fan, he was talking about this last time. He gets mad that McCaffrey's in the game when the game was blow when the game were blowouts. But do you think he's taking the hits in practice that he was taking here in Carolina? No. And, you know, kind of like with Cam Newton, they didn't know. He didn't know how to limit his body to extend his career. The Panthers didn't know how to limit Christian McCaffrey's body to 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 extend his career here in Carolina. Well, and I'll, and even just some house cleaning for me, Le'Veon Bell did have a two-year stretch where he played 96 and 90 in back-to-back, and so that's really on par, less games in each of those seasons. But also, think about Le'Veon Bell. Yeah, he sat out for a season trying to get the contract, but also he wasn't ever the same after just getting used so much. Yeah. And we saw that actually happen in 2016-2017. That's before we got to the Christian McCaffrey usage, so we even had ev- evidence to suggest, hey, when these running backs play that much – it's not the greatest idea because it hurts him. And so many people, so many people were saying, well, when you give them that kind of deal, you got to put them out there on the football field. And then we go to the practice that Cam Newton was talking about. But I always thought it was the exact opposite because you gave him that contract instead of saying, hey, because of it, we got to play him every single snap. No, you want to protect him for the duration of that contract that you gave him. You want him to, yes, be effective in the first two years of the contract, but also the last two, the last three years of that deal. And he was injured constantly until it made sense to trade him at the time, recoup as many draft assets as you could before officially moving on. And now he's great because they also give the ball to Mason every now and then in San Francisco. Like he's still used a lot, but some of these other running backs will get touches. They'll use Debo as a running back every once in a while to just kind of spread the carries, spread the touches. Yeah, when you have better weapons, then you can do that. I understand it. But, okay, you'll just run Christian McCaffrey into the ground, continue him to give him the football, not allow him to rest an adequate amount. And you see Christian McCaffrey eventually miss two seasons, largely due to you know so, you know a couple of injuries that didn't allow him to get back on the field. This might be far-fetched. If I'm investing in the running back position, I'm giving a guy a second contract. Outside of training camp, whenever you're going through the installs and getting you know your timing and everything down, my running back that I'm investing that kind of money in would not practice during the week. I'm not I'm not adding those types of hits to his body because if you're investing in him, you're you you know especially at that level, you're talking about an all-pro caliber running back, a guy that's going to make Pro Bowls, might be the focal point of your offense. You trust him enough Monday through Saturday to take care of his body, to get the mental reps, to do the things he needs to do to be ready to go on Sundays. And I'm I'm just not I'm just not gonna add him. I'm not gonna ask him to take extra hits on his body. If it's a four year guy and you're gonna use him up, ship him off somewhere else, then yeah, run him run him in the ground during the week, run him in the ground on Sundays. But if you're gonna give a running back that type of contract in, in, in today's in, a, in, in in today's NFL. There's no way you're going to damage his body during the week and not get the value out of that contract. You know, what's funny is last thing as we move on, you know, Cam Newton and by the way, Kyle Allen talking about all of that, you know, the last year, 2020, where you had the real successful season for uh, Christian McCaffrey in Carolina, you know, that was Matt rule. But the year prior to that, you were saying, how does it affect uh, Cam Newton's relationship with Ron Rivera? I don't Kyle was mentioning more so the Matt rule season with the 1000,000 campaign, 
But Kyle Allen also goes to Washington because of Ron Rivera. Remember, Kyle Allen was playing there, and so I wonder if there was any, I don't know, weird stuff between Kyle Allen and Ron Rivera, but Allen was playing with Washington because, you know, that was a head coach that he got to follow and got an opportunity. Remember, so, when, Kyle, remember when Kyle Allen was 5 and that was an NFL starter? I remember when everybody, I mean, they were saying, hey, Kyle Allen might be the better QB to win with this team as currently constructed. And despite putting the ball in harm's way, he had not thrown an interception for a while. And then the turnover avalanche came and then he started turning it over constantly. And we didn't have that combo anymore. It was the best five week of quarterback play we've seen in this city since 2017. Yeah, it was. It was great. We saw a five game stretch. We've had a little stretches from QBs uh, <laughs> from unlikely sources. Sam Darnold, three and oh, Kyle Allen, I guess five and oh, right? PJ Walker's one off game against the Bucks that you put him in the Hall of Fame for. Did you watch that game? I, I did. It was amazing. <laughs> I stand by it. A couple more segments to go here on Wes and Walker. Let's go back to some Carolina Panther convo. But also, I wanted to discuss a little college hoops check in. In the last 20 years, the NCAA tournament champion has been ranked inside the top 12 more often than not. UNC 9. Duke ranked 21. Who's got the better shot? Who do you think dropped that topic in there? We'll discuss it coming up next. Sports Radio 92.7 FM. I was looking during the break as I was looking at the Ron Rivera stuff, Cam Newton's comments about Kyle Allen or with Kyle Allen about Christian McCaffrey. And I was looking at Ron Rivera's coaching record. It feels weird that he's been in Washington for what will be his fourth completed season up there with the commanders. Now it does not feel that long ago. It feels yes. The classic both a lifetime ago and just a day ago that Ron Rivera was coaching the Panthers, but he's about to complete his fourth season. I think everybody expects the commanders to move on. That's why we're ranking this head coaching vacancy, how it compares to Carolina, how it compares to some of the others. But I thought Washington was actually going to be good this year. They're not. Their defense is terrible. They traded Montez Sweat. They traded Chase Young. I certainly didn't see that coming. But I was looking at some of the takes that I had at the beginning of the season for the entirety of the NFL. So Carolina is certainly one bad take. I think you and I both had Carolina winning more games than they did. A lot more games than they did. Even Wes, only having them having won like six games at the beginning of the season. He had them winning a lot more games than they will. But even outside of that, Washington was my strong take turned dumb take of having them actually compete for an NFC playoff spot. They're not going to. They're four and nine. They throw the football a ton because they're always down. Their defense is terrible. Even if Sam Howell has done enough, I feel like, this season to last another year and see what they have with Washington, I thought they were going to be good. I want your worst NFL take at the beginning of the season. So what was a take that you had that has been proven wrong? And, man, like real wrong because Washington is one for me. Carolina certainly is one for all of us. But is there another one outside of the Panthers prediction? 704-570-9610. That's the Carolina Men's Clinic text line. 704-570-9610. Did you have one, Fiddy? I have a couple. And, look, this one is still in play, but I think after back-to-back losses it won't happen. Um, I did have the Jaguars being the number one seed in the AFC. And that lasted for a while. They uh, were, yeah, they were playing very well. Yeah, but uh, you know now they're at, they're eight and five. I think they've fallen to fourth. And if they win out and they get tiebreakers, maybe it happens. I don't see it happening. 
Um, this could still happen, although I don't see it happening. I had the Bengals winning the Super Bowl because everyone knows I'm a I'm a Joe Burrow guy. Not a yeah, not a bad take. Just because of the injury, I don't think anybody would say it was bad. And you gotta remember when he got hurt, though they were what five and four, five and five. They did the whole slow start thing like they've done the last couple of years. And then one midseason after the Niners beat Dallas forty-two to ten, I thought they were going undefeated. And then they conveniently lost three straight games. <laughs> yeah. Well, San Francisco, yeah, that was a weird three-game stretch. They almost beat Cleveland if they just make the kick on that final drive. Minnesota was a weird loss for them. They blamed Steve Wilkes for like two weeks afterwards. They wouldn't stop saying, hey, why in the hell were you doing that at the end of the first half? You were not rushing the QB, I think it was. I forget what call it was, but man, they roasted him quite a bit. Uh, let's go to some of these texts coming in. Sad Cat, Lancaster, South Carolina. Hot take. Bill Belichick goes to the Bills. All right, he's just wanting to give us a hot take right now. 704 said, yeah, that the Panthers' offense was going to be better than their defense. And 704, I, I, I said outside the Panthers, but 704 said, I thought Bryce Young would be an NFL quarterback. Clearly proven wrong. Maybe a career backup. Yeah, you're not proven wrong yet. You're proven wrong in the sense that you might have thought he could be rookie of the year. I thought that there was a shot that he could be rookie of the year, given the situation. That turned horribly wrong. Bryce Young ain't going to win that award. But what 704 has not been proven, he's not been proven wrong because he thought he would be a good NFL quarterback. That's still on the table. It just didn't happen this season. And you and I both believe in that, Fitty. But there's not a lot of things around him that are going right. Pass protection is terrible. Wide receivers outside of Adam Thielen have not been consistent whatsoever. Even Thielen started to drop off for a little bit, answered with a 70-yard 70 uh, 70 performance in this last game. But there's a lot of things that you need to take care of in order to get this thing back on track. Bill Barnwell had this head coaching vacancy as the least desirable in the NFL. I also anticipate that Carolina is going to be looking for another GM. I don't think Scott Fitterer lasts next till next season. I know people are starting to question that because he's still here. And people are asking, why wouldn't he just move on already? I, I think that they're going to move on from Scott Fitterer. So if that's the case and that actually happens, is there one that's clearly harder than another? Is there a job that's clearly harder or less desirable because of that? Would you rather be the head coach of Carolina, or would you rather be the GM of Carolina and taking over that job going into the 2024 season? I think I would rather be the head coach because the GM job, at least when you first get hired you're going to be restrained because of the lack of draft capital because you traded up to to get Bryce Young. So I, I think in that instance you would maybe much rather be the head coach. Maybe 2 years from now, you know, the it swings back to where the GM job is a little bit easier. I I I do think that getting the right GM is just as hard if not harder than getting the right head coach. Mhm. Because look at how many organizations turn over that position as much as they turn over their head coaching position. You know, when Jacksonville's bad, when Cleveland's bad, and you know, not not I was gonna say Indianapolis, but not Indianapolis, Oakland. Like you see, usually if you're looking for one, you're looking for both, and it's 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 why it's that's why I think Dave Tepper needs a president, and I think it's because it's it's really it's really hard to get to get it right. And keep it right to set you up for the sustained success that Dave Tepper wants for the next 20 to 30 years. It's hard to hit on draft picks, especially after the first round. 
So GM just might be that answer. But I, I think with the draft capital, that being a con on Bill Barnwell's list for the head coaching position, would you rather be a head coach of Carolina or someone else? He has lack of draft capital as a con, which clearly it would be for the head coach. But that's also true for whoever takes over this GM job. You want more opportunities to get this thing right. And you don't have a first round pick. And you gave up another one in order to go get Bryce Young. The thing about it, though, is in 2024, this next selection process, you do still have six total picks. So it's not like you gave up everything in 2024 to go get Bryce Young. You do have your second, your third, and your fourth round guys. So you can make a selection there, even if you don't have the first. And remember, because Carolina is going to be bad, they're going to be at the high end of every single one of those rounds. So it's not like you're you're talking about a 30-spot difference. Okay? I mean, at least, you know, that, that would be with the championship team. That would be with the Super Bowl team. But even a 15-spot difference is a big deal. You thought you might be mediocre this year, 15-spot difference at the beginning. Second, third, fourth round picks, that they become that much more valuable. You traded away your fifth round pick to Cleveland, but you also received one in return within the Dennis Daly trade. You had the 2024 seventh round pick that goes to the Titans. So you do have the 2024 fifth round pick, just not your own. You do have a sixth and you have you have two fives, excuse me. And then you have a six and a seven, which is going to be a lot harder to hit on. But I'm looking at that second, third and fourth and thinking, okay, at least you have a little bit. You are going to have some cap space to work with. Who knows how much of that is just bringing on some of the guys that are already on the roster. That might be tough. You got to figure out Frankie Louvu, but those the defensive decisions are are good decisions or they're good problems. They're okay. You know, can we take care of Frankie Louvu, JC Horn, Derek Brown, future contract even if we don't have to technically pay him right now and what do we do with Brian Burns? At least those are some of the good problems that you have, but offensively, yeah man. You got a lot of work. I, I mean, trying to split it up between the draft and the off and the and free agency to figure out who's going to be on this offensive line and who's going to be uh, catching these passes from Bryce Young. That's where it's really hard, and I think that's where I agree with you. The GM being the uh, hardest job to have with this Panthers team right now. And, and I feel like Walker, while a lot of Carolina Panther fans are frustrated with Scott Fitterer is when you look at his background and the organization that he came from, like not only was Seattle good on day one, but championship teams, playoff teams, make their money on day two and day three. And not only is he missing on day one draft picks, I mean, what day two, day three NFL draft picks are you getting right? Because that's where you build depth. And, and look, on day two, you're drafting starters. Like, if you're drafting a second or a third-round guy, you're drafting him with the potential to be a starter for your NFL team. Mm-hmm. And and I, I think that's what's been just as equally frustrating is missing on your first-round picks. And I don't want to say that you've missed on Icky. Maybe you misevaluated him as your left tackle. He could be a really good left guard in this league. I'm not out on Bryce Young. Maybe you get that right. But when you're getting it wrong consistently in the second round with the wide receivers that you're drafting, that's what's frustrating, and that's what makes – rebuilding this team in one offseason hard. It's possible. You've seen it in the NFL as much as any other sport. You see teams go from worst to first. It helps that you're doing it in the worst division in the NFL. But it just feels like it's everything's going to be stacked against you, which is why, to me, it's going to make it harder to bring in a big name as your head coach, 
and it's going to be hard to attract quality people that want your GM job. Well, and think about the lack of progress that's been made. People want to see each of these players moving forward. We saw that with Terrace Marshall Jr. in the second half of last season. Hey, deep threat, something to build on. Look at this pro football focus grade. Look at him being the guy that sets them up for a win against the New Orleans Saints, accounting for like 50% of the 30-whatever yards Sam Darnold threw for in the final game of the season. At least we have something to look forward to with TMJ, maybe having a big season this year. Brady Christensen, versatile, starter on an offensive line, somebody that you also want to hit on and had a pretty good year last year. On top of Iki Aquanu, who's the guy that took a step forward as a draft pick? Because I can't find him. Bryce Young, down year. TMJ, down year. Brady, Brady Christensen, hurt. Iki Aquanu, down year. JC Horn, hurt. There's no one I can point to and say, oh man, they really took a nice old step up this season. They're Chuba. proven that helped. Uh, that helps Scott Fitterer. Chuba's a good one. Chuba's a good one. But we also saw him last year perform yeah. on the second half. Really just kind of picked up where he left off, which is good. Hey, that, that's a good thing. That's more than what TMJ did. <laughs> it is. And Thomas Brown talked about Chuba Hubbard today and just how much he's really helped this team. But it is really hard to try to find that. And you go to um, you know some of the draft capital that they have. They have more than I think people realize. And Bagel Guy loves giving us a hard time on the text line. Love it. He said, is Walker over here saying an incoming GM should be excited about our draft collateral? LOL. No, but it's not. It, you don't have only three picks. I mean, it's not bleep them pick status like the Rams were going on when they were contending for Super Bowls when you didn't have like a pick in the first three rounds or something like that. Yeah, I, I think Panther fans would be more confident and more at ease with the draft capital if they trusted their guy to get it right. And right now that trust just doesn't exist in, you know, in Scott Fitterer. When you look at some of these other teams, like, you know, I don't want to talk about just my Cowboys just for the hell of it, but that's a team that drafts really well in every single round. No, they absolutely have, you know, and, and, and that's, and that's what it takes. You got to get the right. And it's crazy how these people evaluate talent differently. And for whatever reason, they're misevaluating guys and and maybe kind of like with Tepper, they've got too many people in their ear with draft decisions. Like maybe Jonathan Mingo shouldn't have gone at 39, but because Steve Smith vouched for him, all of a sudden that's the guy they draft, you know, to, to pair with Bryce young and, and Wes said over and over again, he thought tank Dell would have been a better fit. And that's, that's been proven correct with, with, with what tank Dell's done with a rookie quarterback in CJ Stroud in Houston. And so, um, it's frustrating, man. It, it just goes to show you how hard that job really is. Well, and 814 said Fitterer's best draft pick is Derek Brown, and that was a layup. Remember, that was a Marty Herney pick. Marty Herney was still here. So the first draft Fitterer is a part of, well, <laughs> it's the J.C. Horn selection. You have Terrace Marshall Jr., Christensen Trimble, and right from the get-go, Fitterer's first NFL draft was trading all up and down the board. And you had a million draft picks. You had so many players <laughs> selected in that draft. And I, the guys that you feel good about being here long term, I it, it, depending on what you think about J.C. Horn, the answer is zero. I, I guess Christensen too, Chuba. Like, it, it, no, nobody is a flat out. Hey, he's here long term, and we feel great about it. And that's true. Even every single draft that he's been a part of, like the guys that are fifty fifty. I guess we don't know a ton about Mingo right now. Bryce, you know, we the Bryce conversation's been had quite a bit. 
Icky, JC, Brady Christensen, Chuba Hubbard, and a lot of misses in between before and after. And you, you, you brought up Derek Brown being a Hearn dog selection. We, we all had our opinions of Marty Herney. There was one thing Marty Herney was going to do every year. Mm-hmm. He was going to get that first-round draft pick right. And that's not even something we can say about Scott Fitterer. Like, it makes it easier to miss on day two and day three draft picks if the guy you're drafting on day one is going to be a bona fide pro bowler, all pro, Hall of Fame caliber guy. And that's what, you know, Marty Herney got in Luke Keekley. That's what he got in Cam Newton. Like, he, he very, uh, very seldom did he miss on those day one guys. And, and that's something that's. That's got to change if this this franchise and this organization wants to get back competing in the NFC South. All right. Uh, yeah, and by the way, somebody writing in that they have five draft picks. I think I got as far as this 2024 draft is concerned. They don't have their round one, but they have their second, their third, their fourth. They do have one fifth, they have one sixth, and they have one seventh. So I think... Yeah, they have six picks in this draft uh, class, and maybe you can do some damage, whoever the GM is going to be. I promise you some college hoops talk. We'll get to that in the next segment. We'll finish off with it on Wesson Walker, Josh Fitty Marlowe, last segment of the week, I believe, being a co-host. And so we got to end it strong here with some Carolina basketball talk. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. up Wesson Walker right here on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. All right, people, I keep forgetting. Fitty refuses to remind me on air, and instead he reminds me when it's too late, and so I'm asking you to help me out. We have some Hornets tickets to give away? Yeah, that's right. I I threw you under the bus. Whoa. I threw you under the bus. Tell me where where I was wrong. Point to the cap, as the kids say. I mean, I just, you know, I just don't know why you would out somebody on the air. Mm Mm-hmm. From, I mean, because I, I'm trying to do what's, you know, what I think sounds best for the show, you know, and then you're like, I think you actually forget. And then you just say, hey, we forgot to give out the tickets the last segment. And I didn't want to remind you because I think it sounds bad on the air. I've told you a million times to remind me. I, I think you just actually forget to. And then you're throwing me under the bus. I think you're capping. Am I right about that? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we have some Hornets tickets to give out. Text me and remind me at the end of the segment that because we got to give them out and then whoever can call in at the end, don't call in yet, but at the end of the segment, call in and then we'll hand out two Hornets tickets to the Philadelphia 76ers game on Saturday at 7 p.m. Philly, Saturday, 7 p.m., two tickets. Text me and remind me at the end of the segment and we'll give them to a caller when it's time to do so. I'm going to talk college hoops, though, before we end today's show, because, Fiddy, you have here in the rundown. In the last 20 years, the NCAA tournament champion has been ranked inside the top 12 more often than not. UNC is currently ranked number nine. Duke is ranked number 21. Which blue blood has a more realistic shot at cutting down the nets in Phoenix in 2024? Tell me, Mr. Carolina fan. Yeah, and I'll, I want to add some context because I failed to do so on the uh, on the show sheet. It's in the Week 6 AP poll. And this, of course, is Week 6, which is why I, I put it in there where Carolina is 9 
and Duke is uh, 21st. And <clears throat> I would still say that answer is Duke because I think Duke's ceiling is higher than Carolina's. I think Carolina can make the Final Four. I picked them to do so in the preseason. But I would say that when it's all said and done, if this Duke team figures it out offensively, because it feels like they're going through some growing pains on that end of the floor, I think there's more talent, more depth, more ability on that end to where there'll be a tougher matchup problem than Carolina will be in the NCAA tournament. And so even though Carolina thinks played better the first month and a half of the season, I do think if you're a Duke fan, don't lose hope that you can lose that you can't win a national championship this season. So yeah, Duke against Hofstra, it was a battle at least in the first half, but then they came out on top. I know that Duke's best win right now, man, is it still uh four and five Michigan State? Yeah, after losing to James Madison at the beginning of the season. Yeah, so they, they beat Hofstra by twenty and they beat Charlotte by almost thirty, and they were, you know, really weren't hanging around too long in that game. Uh, they lost to Georgia Tech, they lost to Arkansas. I mean Fiddy, the only win against a power five school right now, it is against Michigan State, as you mentioned. They have Baylor. Baylor's number six in the country. Then they take on Queens. That'll be cool for the Queens Royals. They lost in this last game against App State, but Queens still a really talented team. Duke taking on Baylor. I mean, that would be a huge win for them. They do they do they need this? Is it fair to say after must win in December? I love it. I love it. If you love it, man. I, I mean, they just don't have a good win yet. They no, don't they have don't. any win that's impressive right now. I'm telling you, one of the things that um. That, that I love about the Carolina-Duke rivalry is as much as they're different, they're the same. Because it's not as bad as it was last year with Carolina, but Duke is underwhelmed. More so, I mean, and look, Michigan State being 4-5 and five as a preseason top five team is really, really bad. But, you know, Duke has more talent than anybody, I think, in the country. And they just haven't looked the part. And this time a year ago, we were talking about Carolina needing a must win in December to get their season going. This doesn't happen in, in, in any other rivalry in college sports, but you're right. It feels like they just need that type of win to get some confidence in them because when you watch them play, they just look tight. They look unsure of themselves on the offensive end. You can say what you want, man, about John Shire. I don't like the guy um, for many different reasons. He... <laughs> His teams have bought in in his first two years defensively. Like, they compete on that end of the court. But in today's basketball, offense wins, and they've got to find more answers on that end of the floor. So Duke has Baylor, then Queens. And then I think we're going to start to get a real uh, evaluation on how Duke is. Like, we're really going to know. Because if they still lose to Baylor... That's going to be an acceptable loss. It's still going to be hurtful. You want them to have a good win on their resume, which they don't have right now. But if they lose to Baylor, I mean, what? At, at home, I guess that would make it a little more tough. But it's still a really good team that the Bears have. So then you beat Queens. That's what I, at least I would think, right? You don't lose to Queens. And then you go Syracuse, Notre Dame, Pittsburgh. Two of those games on the road. You get another shot at Georgia Tech to avenge the loss that you had earlier this year. I think that's when we'll really start to make a declaration. I do declare. I think we're really going to start to do that then at that four-game stretch after the Queens game they have at Cameron. Yeah, I I, I, I don't think you're wrong. Um, and look, they're they're playing the long game. They're, they're, they're playing for March. They haven't been as healthy as they've wanted to be. I mean, Proctor 
Um, he, I don't think he played the other night. Filipowski hasn't been 100% healthy uh, at different times early on in the year. Um, I, I think you look at the Baylor game the way Carolina fans looked at the UConn game. Like, yes, you want to win the game, but how does it look? If, if you lose but you compete for 40 minutes, I think you come away encouraged. If you lose and it doesn't look any better and you get beat by double digits, maybe your concern level continues to raise on the, uh, you know, for them. So um, I, I still think when it's all said and done and we get into February and we're going down the home stretch of the ACC season, that they'll be right there in the thick of things in the ACC regular season race. It is interesting to see just how different North Carolina's schedule is right now compared to Duke because their schedule has been an absolute gauntlet yeah. within starting with Arkansas. So you could start with the Villanova loss if you wanted to, but I'm just looking at some of the ranked opponents that they've had. So they played Arkansas. They win by 15. They play Tennessee. They come back in the second half a little bit, but they controlled that game really, especially in the first half. So two ranked opponents, Florida state, but then UConn, the next two games you have on your schedule, Kentucky and Oklahoma. So in that six game stretch, all but Florida State are ranked in the top 20, not even top 25. We can just go in the top 20. Uh, do you like having that hard of a schedule before you get to conference play? I mean, I guess it's easy when you win a couple of those games with a few more left on this slate, but I, I think you have to be very happy with where North Carolina is right now. The only loss that they have outside of Villanova, but I'm just talking about within this rank slate, the, the loss to UConn, you and I still felt pretty good because UConn is clearly in a different tier with these other teams. Maybe there's three others that are alongside of them. I love this schedule when Carolina wins, obviously, because someone that lives in the content world where I host my own podcast, I write about this team. Um, <clears throat> when they lose, our fan base doesn't understand that you're going to lose these games every now and again. And so don't, don't get it twisted. I want to win this game on Saturday against Kentucky like I wanted to win last Tuesday's game against UConn. But right now, what I'm looking at is what is going to translate as we get into the ACC season as Carolina continues to build towards March. If they go one and one in this stretch, I don't think you can complain. I think 2-0 and was very much on the table because I think Kentucky is gettable. They lost at home to UNCW, and you get Oklahoma in your backyard here in Charlotte, a game that Carolina and then in, in, in that environment should win. The only way I think I come away discouraged is if they go 0-2. And I just don't think that's on the table because this group competes harder than what we saw at any point from this team a year ago. Well, they just fit better. I mean, just even from a basketball sense, we don't even need that, oh, they compete harder, right? Like, I, I totally agree with you, but Harrison Ingram, in exchange of Caleb Love, it's a monster difference. You have size out there. You have somebody that facilitates at a better level. And I'm not even saying that's the only addition they made. I actually, I like Cormac Ryan. I know that he didn't shoot well against UConn. That's true. But just watching him play where he fills in the gaps, cutting, I thought Cormac Ryan still even did play well, despite going 0 of 6 from the three-point line. The shooting will come and go. Make or miss league type stuff. NBA, but also college basketball is when you can also attribute that. I still think Carolina is going to be just fine. We'll see what they do against Kentucky and Oklahoma, but it, it doesn't even stop until you have Charleston Southern on the road against Pittsburgh on the road against Clemson. Still Brad Brownell doing a good job with that squad. Once again, as they're currently nine and zero. but that's when you have NC state. And then you get a little bit of a break from the ranked opponents and then it ramps back up again down oh, yeah. the stretch. So at least that's how it's put together right now. That'll do it for the Wesson Walker show. 
with Josh Fitty Marlowe filling in in the co-host chair. How do you feel about this week, man? Man, it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. You know what would make it even better? What's that? Gave away some uh, Charlotte Hornet tickets. Thank you. Yes, thank you. That's right. Let's give away some Charlotte Hornets tickets. If you call in and then you're the third caller, we'll go with the third caller, 704-570-9610. You can win two tickets to the Charlotte Hornets Philadelphia 76ers game on Saturday tip at 7 p.m. Two tickets against Philly at the Spectrum Center, 7 p.m. tip on Saturday. Call in at 704-570-9610. A big thanks listening once again to Wes and Walker. Let's hand it off to the Kyle Bailey Show alongside Smoke Ludwig. You're listening to Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.